Don't forget to slather on some Sad Styles productions before getting out in that sun. On Tuesday, Andrew and Mikey are silent retro video game assassins when they play Ninja Gaiden. On Thursday, the Jackass crew gets started with part one of the review of Jackass, the movie. Also on Thursday, Mikey and Brian let you in on all the secrets of sports marketing on the sign-off, a framework podcast. Losing money with Andrew Goskin is making picks on the Euro Cup and the Adesanya Vittori fight on this 20-minute cutie. It's a hot podcast summer. Don't be afraid to get into it. Coming up, a Sad Styles production. Hello and welcome. My name is Mikey Aaronworth, signing on to the Sign Off, a Frameworth podcast once again. And this time I know it's a little bit different than we normally do it. Usually uh, there's a little bit of an introduction, which is just me. But what I'm starting to realize is I don't think I'm important enough to warrant doing the introduction on my own, uh, especially when it's just the two of you, uh, two of us, you and you and myself talking. Uh, here, obviously, the you that I'm speaking to, if you're not watching on YouTube, is Brian Aaronworth, president of Frameworth. Uh, we are sitting down once again for more of an intimate look into the world of sports marketing marketing uh, as uh, it takes from our perspective. It's it's just you yep. and me shooting the shit about some stories behind the scenes. I know you're filled to the brim with them, so you're always begging me to get on with just you and me. We have some guests I'm on like, begging. no, you're just knocking on my door every day, <laughs> calling me. I have to change my number. We had, we had you know, Brad Jansen on, who obviously can can uh, talk up a storm as, as he should do when he's on a podcast because he's great at that. Uh, and I, I feel like you and I don't get uh, as much of an opportunity to speak speak it but these are our fun ones and well, most of the stories involve somebody else then I'd rather get their perspective as well as mine so as well as yours yeah, yeah yeah well it was it must have been tough for you if you if you haven't heard back uh or the, or the listener if you haven't heard the podcast with Brad Jansen it was a follow-up to the episode which was one of our most well-received episodes which outlines the uh time that you and you're gonna get tired of me saying this because I think I've introduced like six episodes by saying this but the time that you lost Rick Nash's game used jerseys but it was from the perspective of of the uh, athlete represented at the time, Brad Jansen, you did a really good job of sitting there and taking it on and the chin. shutting up, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, I know that uh, I know that you and him can get into it a little bit more in, in, a, in a fun way, uh, but I, I, was, I was happy to be able to hear his perspective about it. You know what's funny, actually? Going back uh, and, and thinking about the original Rick Nash episode, uh, multiple people reached out to me and said that their favorite part of that episode was the story of you putting deodorant in your hair at the golf tournament. <laughs> Uh, that's a little teaser. If you if you if you hadn't heard it yet, go back and listen to the Rick Nash episode. There's a ton of jokes in there and a lot of uh, inside jokes that we'll be speaking about moving forward. But moving forward into this episode, what we wanted to take uh, uh, some time to do is talk about another element of the world of sports memorabilia and sports marketing uh, to show you that it's not only about the signatures and autographs and framed photos and, and framed pucks. Part of what Frameworth has done, and we touched on this a little bit in the NFTs episode, is found ways to uh, enhance our memorabilia or find new realms of, of marketing that uh, give fans and, and owners and corporations alike a, an opportunity to experience the sport that they love or, or the, the uh, form of entertainment that they love in, in other ways. And one of the things that we touched on in that episode was the books that we had done, whether it was for Live Nation or for the Toronto Maple Leafs or the Toronto Raptors, coming into a book that you published with Eddie Shack, uh, uh, co-written by uh, by Ken Reed. Um, and I'd love to spend some time talking about the publishing side of things because that's an element of sports marketing that I feel uh, is is almost completely looked over. You know, uh, I think if you're if you're getting into any 
any business, you you keep a, an open mind as to, and, and you have to have confidence in yourself that whatever you're going to dream up is possible. Right. Right. So, you know, we, we started a picture frame business that turned into a memorabilia business that turned into an autograph business that, you know, and, and it just kept evolving. And, and to, to add on to that, again, if you haven't heard to the, some of the, the earlier episodes that kind of go over how Frameworth came to be what it is, uh, when you say it started off as a picture framing business, that was not including uh, uh, photos of sports players or signed memorabilia. No. That was a whole trajectory that we were on that had nothing to do with sports. So if you're curious about how that was set up, again, you're going to have, there's a lot of episodes. You got some homework at the end of this one to go back and listen to some of the earlier episodes. Well, so basically, you know, it's, it started as a picture frame business and we touched on this one of the earlier episodes that, but um, our biggest account when I started this small little company was uh, the, the record industry. And right. we touched on that. And um, so our roots were really um, as far as memorabilia is concerned was more music than sports. Right. Um, and we did that gold records for, and we still do. Uh, God, we started with my dad's company and that was, why don't you explain what you mean by the gold record? Well, the gold records were what you see in the background of any celebrity musician's home. Yep. It's a gold record that was given to them um, as commemorating a certain amount of sales. Right. Gold right? or platinum, depending right. on. And right. so anytime you look, I mean, anytime you watch a music documentary, these are That's on everyone's play. walls. And what a lot of people might not realize is if there's a Canadian band there somewhere, Chances are the photo on their wall, the frame on their wall is something that we do. Well, not just Canadians. Whenever a, a band came to Toronto, the music company up here that was hosting them for a concert or for an appearance would want to give them their awards. Right. And, it, and so if you see an award in the back, in fact, we supply a lot of the background for movie sets, et That's cetera, fair. et cetera. N- not just calls. for music either. Right. For there sports. Was, what was the movie? That, I think it was like, this is, oh, I totally forgot about this. There was like a Hallmark movie or something yep. that they needed uh, someone's room to be filled with hockey memorabilia. And you were thinking, you're like, okay, I mean, you know, we can give you a Gretzky jersey, whatever, because, you know, everyone's going to want that. Or I can stitch up a jersey with my own last name on the back no, of it. No, no, no. That's no. not quite how it went. Is it not? No, no. What happened was they wanted background memorabilia and they wanted jerseys and whatever we had in the showroom. And then I said, well, I gave them a list of things. And then I got a call back from the from the woman uh, a little while later saying, uh, are you licensed to do this? And I said, well, they're all licensed product. No, are you licensed to supply background stuff for movie sets, et cetera? I said, I have no idea what that's about. And she said, well, our legal team said we better not do that because we may end up having to pay royalties for stuff in, in the background of a movie. So that's Which, that's a very good point because uh, it, it, this, this should shed some light on how complicated the licensing side of things can be. Uh, and that's to right. say that we work, we live in that world and yes. you've worked in it for 30 plus years. And yet in spite of that, there are certain questions that it's just very difficult to know. It's your, your license is typically very specific. You may have a license to sell framed photos, but not unframed photos. That would be like the most simple way to say it. So our products that we've built for a specific purpose to sell at retail or to end users, can we put that in a movie? Well, here's the thing, you know, we live in our world where we're a target. Um, I would say most of the companies out there, the smaller companies go rogue. They just do what they want. They want a photo for their website. They, they don't look for licensing. They just grab one off the internet and put it up there. Well, we can't do that. Right. Uh, So we have to have all the licensing because sure enough, we'll be the 
you know, there's a good story with Mario Lemieux. I might get into one Ooh, time, but anyway, that's a good one. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so uh, and Mario's a friend of mine. So, but th- there are still issues that you have to deal with. So when you when you do make a mistake in our world, we pay dearly for it. So yes. we try not to. The movie companies, of course, are much bigger and are bigger targets. So they have to be that much more careful. So when they asked for the Gretzky jerseys and the things for the background, I got a call back saying, we can't use them. We're not comfortable using them. Do you have anything else? And I said, no. I said, short of some of my hockey equipment here, um, nothing. And they said, well, what do you mean your hockey equipment? Does it have NHL marks? And I said, well, no, this is just a blank jersey with my name on the back of it. and um, There's no logos in that. It was my, my house league jersey they said can you frame it up i said yeah and they said well let's use that oh wow so somewhere i don't think i've ever seen the movie but somewhere in some movie you're going to see a a thing with the name aaronworth on the back of the jersey if you do let me know which movie it is because i was going to say if you're out there listening and you know and this you know one of the strangest things about starting a podcast is you can actually do this i've done this before on my video game podcast where where there was something that i for my entire life had wondered about and i just threw the question out casually. I was starting to think I was misremembering it. And sure enough, the next week, someone responded to me and said, hey, that thing you're thinking, this is it. And they sent me a clip of it and it was just baffling. So maybe there's someone out there. And if you are, that sees my name on the back of a jersey. And here's the thing. If you do, I'll let my friends know because they're sure that if they see my name on the back of a jersey in a movie set, it's a comedy for sure. Like they know how I play hockey, you know, and so those days are gone. Speaking your your yeah, your your life story as told in hockey would be like the first half of the movie Goon minus the fighting. <laughs> I'm the goon that didn't fight. Did you yeah. uh how so how much did you charge them in royalties to use your name? Uh nothing. Oh wow. They, they paid that. for the framing. That was about it. That gave it. them a good price. But so, you know, the memorabilia business started back with the with the music and um and then we got into the sports. Um, but then an interesting thing happened. Um, and, and another side of the story, there's so many stories that we, we got involved with Rush uh, to, to do their memorabilia, and that's a whole other thing, uh, following uh, up with the Tragically Hip more recently. Yep. Uh, but one thing that happened, and you keep an open mind, you know, I'm in the framing business and the memorabilia side, but I'm watching this documentary uh, on HBO called uh, who the bleep is uh, Arthur Fogel. Right. Okay. It was really interesting. And it was about, I don't know who Arthur Fogel is, but. Hence, um, hence the title. Right. <laughs> and you didn't it, know who the bleep he it was. It turns out that um, much of Live Nation uh, that exists now largely out of LA mm-hmm. and one of the biggest, if not the biggest uh, concert uh, production companies yep. in 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 the world in the world as as well as other things and have some of the biggest stars and i'm watching fascinated as people like uh, lady gaga and uh, bono mm-hmm. and all these big stars would talk about this arthur fogel guy right. as if he were the rock star right lady right. gaga made you know presented her first concert that he was at that she she wanted to pitch him on being part of his yeah. his live nation deal and it was a fascinating, if you ever get a chance, it's a great documentary. I don't know if it's still showing. I'm sure it is somewhere. But as I'm watching this, I see this guy um, appear who ran all of the U2 concerts worldwide. Right. Uh, he was hired by them as an accountant and then got along with Bono. And so he went on the road with 
YouTube for every of the major, big major tours, like 25 tractor trailer loads, big sets, all that stuff. And he was kind of heading the whole thing up from uh, setting up the stage to hiring people to putting the right color jelly beans in their dressing room, yeah. whatever it was Anything he did, rider. right? I mean, that that's worth just touching on for a second there. If you've ever seen a band like you 2 play a live concert, everything that exists in the arena that you've seen, and we're talking like, you know, Scotiabank or something like that, it's filled with TV screens, stage, all that. That doesn't that doesn't exist in every city they go. They have to move that from location to right. location. And it literally is like 17 plus tractor trailers full of material. It's an amazing thing to watch them set up um, one of those productions. And, and this um, documentary shows quite how it's done and how Arthur Fogel revolutionized the concert world. But that's a, a whole other story. One of the guys, the guy that ran the YouTube tour. This is the guy who started as the accountant. Craig, and, yeah, yeah, Craig Campbell. I said, I know that guy. And I, I said... Craig Campbell? Uh, uh, Craig sorry, Evans. Craig Evans. Yeah. Sorry. Craig Campbell's with the Hockey Hall of Fame. Hmm. Craig Evans. So Craig, Craig's a buddy of mine from high school and uh, played at golf at our golf course, Bayview. And uh, so I said, I wonder if he... I should, I should be pitching you two mm-hmm. on... Uh, doing memorabilia for them. So you got that idea from watching the movie. Watching the movie. I said, geez, if I got that inside. So I emailed him and asked him if he remembered me. And he said, of course I do. He said, you still playing golf? And his mother lived on the golf course. I said, I'd like to pitch you on something. Um, do you ever get back to Toronto? And he says, matter of fact, I'm coming at Christmas. See my mom. So I said, why don't I pick you up at the airport? He came in on a Saturday. I said, okay, I'll come see you on Saturday. I'll take you to my office and I'll pitch you. So he came to my office and I told him about doing, you know, framed memorabilia for the band. And, you know, there's nothing out there. So uh, that's legal. Right. So why doesn't the band license me to do it or figure out a way and then we'll, you know, make them some royalties. And he loved the idea. But um, on the way out, you know, as he said, you know, Brian, I'm not sure this is big enough for them. I said, if it's, you know, they're talking in the millions of dollars. You're talking in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. He says, if, if that was the case, they've got so many things that they have to deal with. For sure. I'm not sure that that will be good. I love the concept. Maybe one day. And as he's walking out the door. I you just get ha- down on your knees and you just start begging. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I just said, oh, you know, okay, you know what, Craig? I said, is, is there anything else you're doing that might be of interest that I can help you with? And he says, well, for those tours, we do uh, VIP gifting. Right. I said, well, what's that involved? He said, well, he says, we, we, it's, it's basically a way to sell tickets at a escalated price because we sell out every concert. So how do we make more money? Well, we put some of the best seats in the house together with dinner at say the platinum lounge at the air Canada center. Um, you know, we might put 200 seats available and then, and we give them a, a little tour backstage and we give them a nice little gift. Sure. And I said, Oh, really? He says, how many gifts? He says, well, for a world tour, it's probably 30,000 gifts. Nothing said, to sniff at, yeah. Uh, what's your budget? So he gave me the amount, mm-hmm. and I said, you know, what if we can do something for that that will sell on eBay a week later if the person puts it on eBay for $500? That was that was your elevator pitch, essentially, was pay right. X amount, and then the next day you see that on eBay for something that is... 20 times the value right. or whatever the, the value minimal is. Minimal amount, yeah. yeah. But 
high perceived value. Which isn't that very similar to the concept of the season ticket gifting that we talked that's about exactly. earlier. Yeah. That's, a, that's my uh, kind of genre there. So he says, uh, what do you got? I said, I don't know, but give me a week and I'll figure <laughs> it out. That was my exact line. I don't know, but give me a week and I'll figure it out. Sure, sure. So uh, I just, I can't get this out of my head. I'm doing the math, We're talking potential millions of dollars worth of business overall. And I said, uh, I'm laying in bed and I'm thinking, well, I saw this thing. I work with Canada Post and they put out a beautiful memorabilia book. It had coins in it. Yeah. It had pictures. It had little pieces of stuff that, that we work with them to try and produce. Uh, my good friend Richard McCorkle there. So is, isn't it interesting before we get into the specifics of that, how often it is that one contact or project blends into another industry so perfectly. You know, we, we had been working with Canada Post, like you said, for a few years prior to this right. coming up. And it was just having an idea based on something that we had done with and for them and now bringing it into the music industry. And, and it's like, if we hadn't had that initial contact, what idea would we have had? Would we have had the same idea? Would no, have you have to that? see it and you got to keep an open mind. You've seen my office and it tends to get junked up pretty good. I collect all sorts of little things like knickknacks, things. Yeah, paddy wax as things well. Things I see out there. We talked about the kite that we did the other day. Right. I saw a kite and we turned it into a leaf jersey and we had it sold out as a kite. So I looked around the office and I saw this memorabilia book for Canada Post, an NHL book. They did a five year series on it. And I said, that's a great idea. Right. So I pitched Craig on it and I said, I got this idea where we, where we put you know, a ticket. They don't make tickets for the concert. So we would make the official ticket and embed it in there and it's only available in the book. Wait, sorry, they don't make... Well, they don't... Back... Well, recently, they don't offer you a ticket. It's all online oh, stuff, right? right. Okay. So, so we like designed a, a really ticket, cool yeah. ticket with holograms and all that, but it, this was the official ticket, but it wasn't really for sale unless you bought the book. Right. It was embedded in the book. And then we tried to figure out all these other things that we could put in the book that would be inexpensive, but have a high perceived value. Right. So we went back and we did past concert tickets from when they first started, when the band first started, you know, $5 tickets and wherever we could find them to reproduce them. We did, we designed uh, three guitar picks and a drum skin to represent each of the guys in the band. Right, right. And each one was unique to that guy. And we, we had them in little pockets where you could take them out and actually feel them and touch yep. them and put them back. Like in. It, we weren't, we, we had a, a piece of the drumstick, right? We had uh, 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 the three guitar picks that were commemorative U2 guitar picks from that tour. We had, like you said, the drum skin, which was an actual part of the same type of drum kit right. that that's used in the band. Right. It was, it was all very, and then Bono, we had a pair of sunglasses, not actually, but that no, would have been really no. cool. So we actually thought of that. Um, but then we, there was all sorts of neat things in that book, right? Um, collectibles that, that didn't cost a lot, but they were only available in the book. Yeah. He loved the idea. Um, my good friend Richard helped me put this book together. Uh, he did a lot of the design work and helped me with that. And um, we ended up selling 52,000 books to them. Um, and, and it was all a pre-order. So yep. we didn't have to worry about going to a bookstore and hoping that they sell through and all yeah. that stuff. They loved it so much that you two did one for the next two tours. Mm -hmm. So we, you know, we had to think of new ideas. One time we designed a harmonica that went in yes. there, right? Another time we looked at the the sunglasses, but it just wasn't feasible. It was a harmonica with a the because that, that was the Joshua Tree right. tour, and we actually had the 
uh, an engraved logo from Joshua Tree on the harmonica. Right. It was like little ideas like that. I mean, when we talk about books, it's not what you think a book might be. Even if you say a coffee table book, it's not quite that either. It almost is a self-contained uh, commemoration of the concert or that tour and it just so happens to be within two flaps, but that's the only thing that defines right. it as a book, apart from you know the the pages inside, which all written, at, you know, information about the band, oh, yeah. information about the designs. Essentially, those books were almost like mini who the bleep is Arthur Fogel documentaries contained within a book because it was talking right. about the setup process. One of the U two ones, remember, we had a piece of the stage, the same material the, the stage was made book. out yeah. of. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so to keep the book open at the right thing. We, we took a piece, it was a, one of the features of the first tour that they did this book, the first book for, was the stage. It was a very unique stage. I think it was Innocence and Experience. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. They, they were going to do the Innocence and then the Experience tour, and then they did one in between, Joshua Tree. Right. So they took a piece, they gave us a huge slab of the stage, and we cut it up into uh, one inch by three inch pieces and, and use that in the book as well. And then, um, set lists that yes. copies of the exact set list and pocket pages. There was a ton of neat stuff in there. Um, Craig loved the idea. We did the book and I can tell you right now, if you go on eBay, you will find that book, uh, at varying prices, but we did find a number of them at $500. Yeah. So I was to the, to the penny. He was just amazed. How did you figure that? I just pulled a number out of my head, <laughs> but I was dead on. So the good news was that Live Nation loved the process so much, Madonna saw the book. Right. And um, she said, well, can we have one made for our concert? Yes. So, so because all they were doing for the gifting was a T-shirt and a hat and a bag. Yep. Which is a nice gift. You wear it around, but it gets worn out. So that's a nice commemorative thing. But this one you couldn't. I mean, it's still going to be worth what it's worth in the concession stand. I right? remember we went to the U2 concert the first time around because uh, we, we were involved with production. Yeah. So so we, we went and we were in the area, like the room where people were getting these gifts. And it was like watching kids open up gifts on Christmas morning yeah. where like they were taking it out and comparing it and this and like before the concert even started, right. it was really, really cool. And it was a limited edition book. Too. Yes. I'll be at 35, 40,000, whatever it was. Now it's, it's funny. Cause you mentioned, you know, he Craig did in the, in the conversation that you had that uh, they were looking for gifting for a tour, which was already planned. And right. you, they're usually used to something like a t-shirt or, or whatever it is that they're giving away. When they said yes to do this project, the time crunch was absurd. Now, I, you know, not to get too inside baseball with this, but I think it's worth bringing up the fact that once we got the order, the tour was getting ready to go, which right. means they wanted to have ideally all the books sent to all the different locations prior to you two getting there so that there weren't any issues with logistics. They were going to do that by sending it to one central location who works with Live Nation on their freight coordination and then to disperse that to each of the different locations. Like this is a worldwide tour we're talking about. This yep. is U2. They play everywhere. Because of the timelines, we could only produce, say, 500 books a day, 1,000 books a day. These are all hand put together. Hand These weren't published and bound in a, in a uh, bindery. Right. These were all 
all the pages had to be inserted with Chicago screws, which is and 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 screwed down so that they all fit properly. And and because of that process, it was a very slow turnaround because it was meticulous. We didn't right. want this to have the appearance of something that you just find in a shopper's drug mart right. and, and right. you know Danielle Steele novel or something like that. So we wanted to make sure that the, it was built with that love, and we did that. However, it was so difficult to keep up with you two. I remember sitting there and watching their tour dates and being like, okay, by the time they play in Tokyo, we need to have. Three 3,000 ahead and I'm calculating how many books we're able to make each day and I'm like we're going to be 100 short like how do we run an extra shift to yep. get another thing out there and so literally as U2 was touring around from city to city we were shipping boxes of books out a day in advance of them getting to the arena little do the little do, like he, we learned on the second book to be able to ship big shipments to Europe, big shipments to Asia. Right. But, you know, similar, you know, you're having this conversation with Craig and you're making it up as you go. You're like, right. I know that we can do something like this, but we don't know the ins and outs of it yet. He didn't really know that I didn't have a clue. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, and again, my motto is, if, if you want the thing bad enough, you'll find a way. And I, we yes. did. Yeah. And we did. And, uh, and then, like you said, they did. We did... Uh, uh, there was a commemorative book we did for a tennis tournament. We did one for Madonna. We did, uh, oh, we uh, did, uh, um, black, black Sabbath. Sabbath, black Sabbath, you yeah. two. Uh, it, but that was this whole new element of sports memorabilia and sports marketing or just marketing and memorabilia in general that, uh, we hadn't done before. And we didn't have really a corporation set up to do this problem. So we actually, made a new company that would be able to get an ISBN number and publish books because that's what we did uh, with yeah, these. Yeah. Uh, and, and that took the form of framework publishing. When you think of that multi-million dollars worth of business being done out of one little meeting and a last minute comment to say, what else do you do? <laughs> yeah. Like that's, he was walking out the door Yeah, and I just said, uh, well, you got to wait for me cause I'm driving you home. Yeah. But what else do you do? And that's when he says, well, I don't know. You, can you come up with a, something for, for the gifting? I mean, so this is one thing that I do want to stress because I, I know that we have a lot of listeners out there who are interested in breaking into the marketing or memorabilia world in some in some form. And I always talk to people. I've done a couple of lectures at, at uh, some, some colleges in the area that have sports management programs. And I always like to talk to the students and get their sense of what they think sports marketing is or marketing in general. And everyone has this idea that every office you're going to walk into, like sports marketing is this flashy, prestigious, sleek thing. Uh, every office you walk into is going to be like glass ceilings everywhere. Like like think about CAA or like the entourage offices right, in, in the right. agencies or something. So much of the way that this industry runs, and it turns out this is just the way most industries across the world run, are kind of seat of their pants. When you get a commemorative book at a U2 concert and the concert is put on immaculately and everything runs smoothly. There is not a single day of that concert where people are not scrambling behind the scenes as though they're pulling an all-nighter to finish an essay to get it done. No, That's the way our world runs. You're talking about true marketing. Um, when you talk about the CAA entourage and uh, yeah, Tom Cruise uh, movie type thing, sure. um, you're talking about player agents right no, that's a little bit different story I'm, I'm just talking about the aesthetic the yeah. aesthetic of like you think that where you're going to go is like this this well-kempt everyone's in a suit and they sit down and it's like what are we going to do about the u2 book and then and then it's like let's do this okay how long do we have three years to prepare we're all going to be ready yeah. for it that is not how these things go and i'll tell you something um 
and I don't, I guess I can tell this story, but with the Madonna book. Yeah. Oh, with, I, I think I know where you're going. With, I love with this. the Madonna book, you are dealing with artists and artists work at their own pace and their own time. And they're not concerned about deadlines or anything else other than getting themselves on stage and presenting their act the right way mm-hmm. with their vision. Yeah. So now we're on the Madonna book and part of it we thought was really cool to have, cause it was kind of a sexy book. It was, you know, it's all about fashion design yep. and all that. We even had a piece of one of her outfits. It was really cool embedded in the book yeah like the same material so it was like a touch and feel type thing so anyway so we're waiting for her we thought it was a great idea and so did she to put her lip prints on the inside cover right okay so we had like red lip bright red lipstick the cover was bright red so madonna um said she loved that idea so we said well we got to get this thing within the next couple of weeks so we sent out a piece of paper just for her to put lipstick on and kiss yeah Two weeks go by, nothing. Yeah. Three weeks go by, nothing. Now we're now a week behind schedule for the world tour. Because okay? we can't go to print until we have it. And I think she either, I think she started in Europe. Yeah. So now we're waiting and waiting and waiting. Now we're three weeks, four weeks, and she won't let anybody else kiss the paper. Uh-huh. We just needed lip prints, right? right? But it's got to be hers. Sure. So we finally get this piece of lipstick, uh, uh, lip print back. And we embed it. Well, now we're three and a half weeks behind schedule, which means that in order to get them to the concerts in Europe, they couldn't ship them by by uh, boat. Boat, yeah. They had to ship them by air. air. That was a twenty five thousand dollar delay. Yeah, that they had to pick up mm-hmm. because it wasn't our fault. She would, and she didn't care. Just fine. Okay, add it to the bill and yeah. whatever it was. It's, it's, I remember waiting there like. Like, you know, again, I stress that that feeling of every industry you think runs immaculately doesn't behind the scenes. It's just common. And we're sitting there like, well, why can't we go to print? Well, we're waiting for someone to kiss a piece of paper, you know, and and it's like all the power to her. Madonna isn't Madonna without her strict attention to detail. But that's the result of it. I mean, in fairness, like and this happened with all the artists, um, the book is not anywhere near the most important part. Right. Except that they don't want anything substandard out there. So although they don't have time, they're focusing on their act and their music and all that stuff, they also don't want anything substandard, so they are not going to do anything or let anything be done without their final approval. Right. And that was the case with all the bands. Yeah, always. And it it always is. And that's kind of the way you want it. You want those artists that, like just have so much attention to detail because they're so obsessed with their brand and who they are, you know, not in a conceited way, but like an an artist like that knows what they want to put out there. So we do a lot with live nation. We did at that time and we're thinking, well, if it works for them, it's got to work somewhere else. And that brought us into, I believe the next project, which was the season ticket gifting for the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Toronto Raptors, which we talked about in an earlier episode. Uh, How did that meeting come about? Well, now that we knew how to do the books and what our budgets could be and how to make them properly and and eliminate all the hassles, uh, we thought, well, okay, we have a lot of hockey teams that that give out gifting for those that have season's tickets. We said, okay, let's see what we can do for that. Instead of giving, again, a hat or a a baseball or whatever it's going to be, um, this this hit a pretty good budget point. And uh, we thought, okay, let's see if they're interested. And they did. They had an interest in... uh, in giving those out as gifts for um, you know, season's ticket holders yep. or suite holders. And sometimes there's a, an added level. For instance, the regular season ticket holder might get a, the, the regular book, but the suite holders who spend a lot more money there might get 
of the same book, but a couple extra pages yep. added with their corporate logo in there because right. we hand right. make the books. And then, then there might be a, a couple of autograph photos from Mitch Marner or, you know, or, uh, Kyle Lowry or somebody like that. Yeah, th those were great. Uh, and it did give us that opportunity. Like when we talk about what we had done with the Live Nation books and you, 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 you factor in all of those additional kind of uh, um, elements to it, which would have been the, the drum kit and the picks and stuff like that. You really just take the same perspective on, you know, what sorts of things in the world of sports can we applied to this as right. well we and gathered up a lot of game use sticks and cut them up the broken sticks and we put a piece of the stick in right. a lot of those right rather things. than a piece of the floor for right. example for right. you two now that though wasn't enough to scratch the itch for you you know <laughs> you, you you had this shiny new corporation Frameworth publishing and you thought we've done some tours we've done some season ticket gifts but i brian aaronworth have not published a book with the number of words that are required to be kind of like a New York Times bestseller. No, no. You know what? That really isn't the case. That's not how it evolved. <laughs> um, as you know, Eddie Shack was a very good friend of my father's yep. and yep. became a very good friend of mine. And Eddie loved to come in here on almost a daily basis and shoot the shit and cause havoc. And we called him Mr. HR Violation because we did. Uh, every time he passed somebody's desk, he'd make a comment that would probably cause us some grief. <laughs> and I literally, and you, being head of HR and everything else here would have to go around and say, are you, are you uncomfortable with what he does? And everybody loved him so there, much. There were, there were some accommodations that, you know, we were all okay making and, right. and uh, we had to make sure that they understood. were fine. Yeah, exactly. We don't want anybody taking offense and everybody kind of to a person said, no, we love Eddie. Yeah. I mean, he's a character. He's an old school guy and there's no excuse for a lot of the things right, right. that he, he got away with, but he did. And so he'd come into my office and every day he'd sit there for 15 minutes and tell me a story. Mm -hmm. And he'd tell me a dirty joke or he'd tell me a joke or... Why don't you share one of those uh, uh, right now? No, <laughs> please don't. <laughs> Actually, no, the, so the, the, let's do a couple one-liners. Here, here's a little, a little peek into the, the Eddie Shack curtain, if you will. Uh, he loved to tell jokes. He didn't care how many times he had told you that joke. No, so they're embedded in your memory, and they're all in the book. They're all in the book, uh, and they're all uh, so. In I'll my start. Head. Okay, you go for it. Eddie was from Sudbury. Uh huh. <laughs> Eddie used to say, "I'm from Sudbury." He says, "Only hookers and hockey players come from Sudbury." Which team did your mother play for? <laughs> The one he'd always say to me, because I'm a lonely individual, uh, he would always say, you know, jerking off is like three-putting, you know, you're going to do it. That's one that I remember quite a bit. And hey, feel free to use any of these if you want. And and maybe you wonder why for, for a limited time, Eddie Shack was banned from the alumni box for oh, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Because it didn't matter who was in there. Didn't matter. Kids, anything. He, he had a great story about Bobby Hall uh, going into an old folks home and... Uh, he walked, Bobby Hall went, went up to some woman in a wheelchair, an older woman, and uh, she looked at him. She said, you look familiar. He said, well, do you know who I am? And she said, no, but if you go to the front desk, they'll tell you. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, and, and Eddie used to collect oh. all these jokes and say them over and over again. So they're firmly embedded, just like Brad Jansen's jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah very similar. It feels like that hockey slash golf culture yeah. of, of telling the same stories. So Eddie used to come into my office and he'd tell all these stories. And this was a couple years back. And I said, you know, this is about, oh, November of, uh, of the year. No, sorry. It was about April. And, um, and I said, you know, Eddie, 
and he's get, he was getting up in age, and I said, you got to get all these down in, in yep. some story, a book. And he said, well, I already had a book written about me. Uh, but he said, um, I said, well, I know it's a, that was kind of a more of a mainstream book. I said, we got to do something kind of like we, we've done with you two and that, but maybe a little bit more book Yeah, not, not as memorabilia right. focused. Yeah, Just a lot of neat things in it, but... Tell the stories like you tell them from a hockey players, as if you're sitting around the dressing room talking to fellow players. Right. Um, that's what the that's what the fan base wants to hear. Behind the scenes story. What happened when you were in a bar in Chicago sure. and that type of kind stuff. Kind of what we try to imbue on this podcast as well. It's right. more of that intimate kind of just shooting the shit stories that not everyone is uh, is is around to hear. So I had no idea what I was doing with a mainstream book. Live Nation took these books and they bought them all outright at right, the beginning. Right. So I knew I had a sale. I didn't know how to get into Indigo and, and all the bookstores and Amazon. But I said, he says, well, why don't we do a book? He said, you've done some books. I said, well, it's not the same kind of book. But he said, uh, yeah, that would be kind of cool. So I said, you want to do a book? He said, yeah, I do. So, you know, Eddie had been out of the limelight, not out of the limelight, but he was, you know, he was a big entertainer giant right. throughout the years when he was a Leaf in the 60s and 70s and kept going, pop shop days. So I immediately got on the phone while he was sitting there to a good friend of mine, Ken Reed. Who was on the podcast earlier on the podcast. Well. Broadcast and uh, he yeah. has written a number of books about hockey cards and this and that. And I said, look, um, I'm sitting with Eddie and he wants to do a book. Would you be interested in in writing it? Because I know nothing about writing. And he said, I would be honored to That's do amazing. the book. That's amazing. Honored to do the we book. We should say as well that, yes, he has written a lot of books about hockey cards and things, but he also did a similar project to what we were looking to do with Dennis Marouk. Right. Where he would right. kind of hear the stories from the athlete and pen it in their own words. There's another name we got to get on the podcast, Dennis. But yeah. um, so, so he said yes. So I met with them about a week later, all three, and I said to and Ken said to me, he says, okay, when do you want to produce this? And I said, well, it'd probably be good to launch just before Christmas. Right. And he said, so this was 2019. He said, so 2021, right? And I went, no, I this year. <laughs> this was May. I said, I want to launch it in November. He says, that's impossible. You can't do that. I said, no, it's it's possible. We'll figure it out. I uh -huh. said, you, you got some time to do it. He said, well, I'm in the middle of it, something, other projects. I said, you want to do the book or not? And he said, Brian, I wouldn't pass this up. He says, I need to sit with Eddie and and talk to him. And then I got my friend Richard to put together the concept and the idea. Same Richard that Richard helped McCorkle, us out with the, yeah, the great guy. Yep. Another guy we should get on the show. So Richard is a creative genius, and he put together the concept, which was Eddie just telling stories, lots of photographs, right. stuff that you hadn't seen before. Right. And then he came up with the concept of having Eddie tell the story, but if you know Eddie, Eddie's wife, Norma, yeah, um, and she'll come on at some point and talk about it, but she's done so much for hockey, oh. especially in terms of, uh, of, of, uh, like, like player union deals, things right. like that. Right. She, she's, she's spearheaded, she's spearheaded quite a bit there. Yeah. yeah. So he came up with the concept to say, well, sometimes Eddie's stories, he misremembers them a little bit. Maybe on purpose, maybe well, not. Yeah, yeah. And he makes them his own and all that. So Eddie would tell the story and then every couple of pages, there'd be a yellow look like embedded in the thing sticky like note a that note, says yeah. Norma says yes 
And then she would give her version of the story and sometimes completely opposite. It was like, a great, Eddie doesn't remember that right. It was like, think about when you're watching The Office or Modern Family and Michael Scott says something and then it immediately cuts to Jim being like, that's not really what, it, you know what I mean? Yeah, like it's, yeah. it's that exposition that you would never really get in a book, but I found that the way that it was done with the post-it notes and the Norma says and just fact checking right off the bat made it such an interactive way to read a book. Um, if you're if you're curious at all in Eddie Shack's life or you just like good behind the scenes hockey stories, you should absolutely check that out. Check that book it out. out. They're still available at Amazon and Indigo. Um, and then we have some here. Of course, you can buy them online. What was really amazing was the photos that Eddie supplied. Yeah. You know, he had, um, back in his day, he had the number one hit on the Chum charts, which was the Chum radio station yep. had the chum chart out every week and he had the number one hit and Eddie used to brag about that and he said you know who took me off that list he says bump me from number one spot was Nancy Sinatra <laughs> Nancy Sinatra these boots are made for walking she said that's pretty good eh and he talked about his days at the pop shop but well, Eddie, that, that that song though that he had was clear the track here comes Shaq right yeah which and, is fame everyone who knows Eddie Shaq knows that song and he sings it all the time or he did oh, yeah, and yeah so so there were so many interesting things. This guy was the first guy that I know of to really market himself, to yep. get outside of the world of hockey. He had uh, hockey. He had um, Christmas tree uh, business. He bought a golf course. Uh, he uh, almost prided himself on the fact that he was illiterate. Yeah, couldn't read. And, uh, and yet he made millions of dollars in investments. He was such a smart man. Um, he couldn't read, but he knew how to get someone to write a check for him. That's, right. that's, that's when, that, you, when, that, when you can do that, who needs to read? Yeah. He, um, well, it was, it was to the point even where if, if he were at a signing and someone asked him to say, Hey, to Mikey, you know, all the best, someone would have to write that down for him. And he would essentially like, he knew how to write, yeah. but he didn't know how to spell. Right. So he most. would, he would mimic essentially what was written down there, but he wouldn't have been able right. to write, like to sound it out. Phonetically. Yeah. I mean, yeah. eventually he got, I mean, I drove around with him. I said, well, it occurred to me as I'm driving up North to go fishing with him and he's driving and I'm going, how does he know what sign to cut <laughs> off on the highway? Like he just knew by instinct, but he used to drive his car up to uh, highway seven to a or somewhere near Barrie yeah. to get his car filled up because he knew the girl in the station would come out and fill his car up to the where he wanted it filled up because oh. he couldn't read the, he didn't know how much he was paying for it. Oh, that's amazing. There are so many great stories in that book and so many that we couldn't even put in there because it would be massive, but the book was great. We ended up getting it ready for November. Yes. And I didn't know the book business, that book business. So I started phoning around Ah, September and saying, we're bringing out a book of Eddie Shack. Do you want it? And Barnes and Noble said, are you kidding me? You got to phone us like a year and a half in yes. advance of a book coming up. And what, what publishing company are you anyways? Penguin? Uh, yeah. I go, well, it's a Frameworth publishing. Uh, <laughs> and they go, who is that? But I did run into a really nice guy at Indigo who was a hockey fan. Yep. He says, we want that book. Nice. And I said, if you do the book, Eddie will come. And Eddie was happy to do autograph signings. He did them everywhere. I had him on tour for a month, which was such a memorable time. Some good, mostly good times, yeah. some miserable times for me. It was like, like across Canada, essentially. I, like, I did uh, the East Coast. We yeah. did a tour in, yeah, yeah. in Halifax, and he did CBC Radio. We were up at 6 in the morning doing breakfast television, and then CBC, and then book signings. Even in Halifax, we went to uh, 
a Roger store that had booked them in for two hours from five to seven at night. Right. And uh, we go in there and there's nobody in there. Uh Uh-oh. Right. There's like one guy waiting for an autograph, which was not the case pretty much anywhere Anywhere. else we went, but they didn't promote it that well and whatever it was, but he was obligated to go. And, and my wife was, I, I missed my wife's uh, retirement party. She's a flight attendant. So she's in San Francisco with her friends and I'm trying to order a bottle of champagne over the, through the hotel. And I'm on the phone and, and Eddie's sitting there at the table and about 10 minutes into it, I look around and he's not there. And I go, where the hell is Eddie? And the guy in the store says, he just left and you see that bar across the street and I see him in the window and he's drinking red wine. And I went, he can't do that. We're supposed to be here for two hours. They're paying for a signing, right? Yeah. And they bought so many books to, to, I, I run across there and then he says, bullshit. He says, they can't promote me well enough. He says, it's embarrassing. I'm not going there. So I'm going to sit here and I will buy anybody that wants an autograph, a drink, they can come in here, have a glass of red wine with me, but I'm not going back and sitting wow. in an empty store. So I went, okay. Um, and by that time, I can't say anything. No, Eddie, no, 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 no. You know, he's 79 years old and he's, he's, this uh, is the tail end of the tour. He's, he's been right. up at he's 6 tired. every day. He, he, I'm exhausted. Yeah. I can't imagine what he's been right. going through. I mean, it was an incredible experience. Then we went to a good friend of mine, uh, Brad Hartland, had about three yeah. bars out there and we did tours of his restaurants and book signings there. And Eddie was happy because they served beer there and, yeah. red wine <laughs> and he could drink and he was flirting with all the waitresses, which was Eddie's style. And, and so that book tour, and then I flew him to Philadelphia to do spit and chiclets. Right. He was on spit and chiclets. Well, that was a, a great show. And, and of course I heard every story over and over again, because sure. it was a routine and breakfast television and he got on set and then he interrupted him. after his segment on breakfast television, he went on the next set yes. where they were talking about the zoo or something. And they, they just, and he says, Oh, and I wanted to give you one of the books and, the, and they stopped everything and they started talking to him again. Eddie could get away he's, with anything. He's just a, a, a person of a bygone era. Uh, you know, take that to mean what you will. He got away with saying a lot of things that you can't say now, but when you got, when you, when you had him in that sort of context, they, you really started to realize why his nickname was Eddie, the entertainer, yeah. why he really came into his own. It's so good to know um, you know, anyone who knows Eddie or had heard of Eddie, he's, he's so outgoing and, and the fact that he passed during COVID and well, that's, that's the other side, which was very interesting because Eddie was, um, the, the book did become a bestseller. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, out of the, out of, I said, I can sell 5,000 books, which is a Canadian bestseller for a sports book. I said, I can do that out of the trunk of my car with Eddie Shack. Right. If he's willing to spend the time, I can do it. Indigo was a big part of that. They did very well with it. And we sold uh, over 6,000 books. Nice. And we still have a few, but that's that being. Um, but the interesting thing was, I was told that Eddie could not, you know, I, I was insistent. We're going to bring this out for Christmas. Right. Okay. And, um, and everybody said it couldn't be done, couldn't be done. Even uh, Ken Reed's publisher uh, said, Brian, it's way too short a time frame. You should wait a year. Right. And I said, no, we're going to do this. And he said, well, good luck to you. And then I remember doing an interview at Sportsnet where his publisher uh, came by and he said, it's incredible. You got that done. I, I, he says, I didn't, I didn't know that that was even feasible. Well, the good news is Eddie got sick shortly after that mm-hmm. and he passed away. Yeah. So 
But that was, uh, I feel like it was, you know, Eddie has given us so much, had given us yeah. so much. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I don't mean, you know, in terms of like money or transactions or signatures and so he gave us so much because like I, when I'm at work, I am, all I want to do is work. I don't want people coming into my office and talking to me. I'm very particular about that. The one exception that I would always make, uh, was when Eddie came by, he always had a story and there was something about him, even though it was a story that I had heard countless times. Oh, yeah. I was... And he pat your dog, Stella? He, yeah, he called my... He refused to call my dog, Frankie. Uh, he would call it Stella. And he would come... You'd hear him from down uh, wait, the hall. Wapachowski, was that the girl that he was It was, was based off of his first girlfriend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Stella Wapachowski. Yeah. <laughs> In Sudbury. Oh, man. Yes. Just a... Just, just a... What a human being. Uh, glad that... that you know, we got to be part, you more so than myself, in in bringing this book out, having him relive his legacy for one more, one more kind of... Uh, uh, well, that was the biggest part. Eddie hit the limelight a big time yeah. during that time period. Movie, uh, uh, radio interviews, television interviews, book tours. He was back in the limelight, which is where he always liked to be. Yep. He was bigger than life. And, and then he got sick and he passed away. And uh, he had that... Last big hurrah, and I'm so proud to be part couldn't, of that. Couldn't have asked a, uh, for, for a better way for, for someone like him, you know, yeah. to not only relive his own stories, but then to share them with everyone else. It was, it was fantastic. And like everything else, that's my version, but then there's going to be Norma's version, yeah. and, and we got to get Ken Reed back to do that version as well. Uh, because he was a big part of it, and even Richard McCorkle. Maybe we get a, a roundtable here where we have all, oh, all of them on. That would, would be love great. that. Can we afford enough mics? <laughs> well, we're going to have to increase the budget to this podcast. That's yeah, all I know. And maybe yeah. some air conditioning. Maybe some air conditioning here. <laughs> hey, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can probably literally see us sweating as we do this right now. Um, but but look, you know, I think that's a great way to end it off because it kind of brought us full circle. We started off with just an idea out of nowhere with no substantial way of bringing it to life and that with with the job with live nation allowed us to incorporate a new company which allowed right. us to put the idea into our head and then to relive that final moment uh, uh of eddie shack's time in the in the spotlight was uh anything we could have a uh, ever asked for so thank you for sharing that with us uh would love as well you know if you have any questions about eddie or maybe a story about a time that you saw him he's going to be a uh, a person who gets brought up on this podcast quite a bit so if you're out there and you have some questions or you want to share a story sign off pod at framework.com you can also find us on twitter all that will be read as the end credits roll but uh, until that happens uh, you know what i was thinking one last thing yeah uh i have a few autograph books laying around and oh, maybe okay. we should i think we'll put our minds together after this uh podcast is over and we'll figure out a way to maybe give out a few of those that I mean, sounds they're great. pretty rare um you know he every time he came in he signed a few books for me um i put a few away so maybe we get uh, we we have a little contest. I would love thing. to do a giveaway. So pay attention to our social media handles. Wait for them as the end credits roll in this, and you'll hear how to get in contact with us there. Uh, we'll also be sending some stuff if you're not already a Frameworth insider. That's a great way to stay in touch with uh, all the news and goings on at Frameworth. So once again, thank you uh, for sharing all those stories and taking us on that journey. Brian Aaronworth, president of Frameworth Sports Marketing. I am Mikey Aaronworth, not the president of Frameworth Sports Marketing, but the co-host of the Sign Off Podcast. And this is us signing off. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we made it to the end of yet another episode. Thanks again so much for joining us. You can find videos of all of our episodes on YouTube by searching The Sign Off Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Frameworth Sport or Instagram at Frameworth Sports. 
And hey, if you're not sick of me yet, you can find me on Twitter over at at Retrograde Mikey, or you can always find me embarrassing myself over on Instagram at Aaronworth. The sign-off is a proud product of Fadu Productions and Sad Styles Productions, executive producers Mikey Aaronworth and Andrew Bascom. Until next week, this is Mikey Aaronworth signing off. Furnished by Sad Styles Productions. Give me-